Welcome to Truth and Grace with John and Mark. In this podcast, we tackle difficult issues related to living, loving, and leading in a broken world. We hope you are encouraged by today's episode. Welcome to John and Mark, uh, Truth and Grace. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Uh, I'm going to just tell you straight up, uh, we do not have Mark. This is not Mark Renfro with us today. Uh, We are so blessed uh, to have Natalie Runyon. Uh, She's written a book called Race to Stay. And I came across this book. Mark's on vacation. Uh, He's having a great time out this week. Came across this book, and I thought, you know, we need to have Natalie in to talk about uh, just the great material that's in here. Uh, the book is on Amazon. We're not here to promote books necessarily. We want to talk about the content. But I think after you listen to some of our conversation, you're going to want to pick this book up. It's really good. I had a great read with it, um, It and it talks about uh, some of the church hurt, church culture, things that we go through in ministry. Uh, Natalie has been a worship leader in ministry. She was raised in church, and so she's gone through the process of uh, going through and having to, to, to sit down and go, hey, I was raised in this. I've faced a lot of difficulties in my church life. Now, how do I navigate through this? And this book is just the journey of how to walk through that. Uh, Natalie, w- welcome with us today. Uh, this book is is your story. It is. And, uh, you know, right now in the church world, deconstruction is the big, you know, hot topic. And it seems like that this book is about deconstruction, but walking through it in a healthy way. We, we can deconstruct church, just don't deconstruct Jesus, right? right, right. So uh, why don't you take a moment and just tell us why you why you wrote Raised yeah. to Stay? Oh, man. Well, John, thank you for having me on with you guys. It's such a gift to be part of the World Challenge family. Um, yeah. I live here in the Springs with you guys, so right down the road. Yeah. And uh, World Challenge has been kind of a part of my whole pastor's kid life. You know, David Wilkerson, um, his daily emails or weekly emails he would send out. My husband, um, when we were dating, would send them to me in email form, and they were like our daily devotions and um, getting to go to New York City and sit under David Wilkerson for a Sunday and see what he had created with the Lord and that yeah. and that city was just amazing crossing the switchblade. So I'm fangirling a little bit being in the World Challenge environment. <laughs> well, I work here and I'm a fanboy. So uh, David Wilkerson and World Challenge has made such a difference in my life. Yeah. So it's great to hear yeah. we have that common thread. I didn't really know that yeah. until this morning. So it's great to hear, you know, you have those, you know, th- yeah. those long-term relationships. So, um, hey, in your book, you start off with the hurt. Yeah. And maybe you just give us a, a just a little picture of, you know, maybe why you wrote the book and, you know, talking about some of those early years and the hurt that you went through. Yeah. You know, I think that we can only write to what we've walked through. And I was 40 years old, a worship leader. I'd been a pastor's kid 20 years, then went right into full-time ministry. So 40 years of knowing nothing but church culture, uh, the church life, the pastor's kid life. And At 40 years old, I was just having a really hard season. And I thought, you know, this is a good holy number to tap out. Like, if I'm going to quit, 40 (laughs) feels like the right year. Uh, By the way, there's never a good time to quit. But (laughs) but in that moment, you know, it was a hot summer day. I'm walking the dog. And I told the Lord, if it's okay, I'd like to be done. I was having a Paul moment. Like, if if you could just take this thorn from my flesh, there are many other things I could do. Um, Why do I have to keep doing this? And it was on that walk that the Lord, as I'm praying— gave me this phrase, raised to stay. And I knew it had to be him because that wasn't my language. That wasn't something that I would have just 
come up with. I wasn't sitting in a marketing meeting, like trying to come up with something. <laughs> and I ran home and I Googled that phrase and there was nothing. There was nothing called raise to stay. And I thought, oh my goodness, I am tired. I'm exhausted. I want to quit, but I must still be abiding in Jesus, that John 15 scripture, because he trusted me with something that I don't think I knew what it was at the time, but I knew it was special. Yeah. So I sat down. I have I had a personal Instagram account, and every day I started writing a post, convincing myself not to quit, a scripture, a one-liner, a phrase. And I think the first box I wrote was, the church did not hurt you. A few broken people did. Don't give up. You were raised to stay. Mm. And I put that with the hashtag raised to stay on my Instagram account. Before I knew it, people were messaging me every day. Thank you for writing this. Thank you for saying this. And it was my own cry to the Lord to not let me quit. Yeah. And so the entire account became the safe place for Christians who were saying, hey, I've wanted to say that, but I just didn't know how to say it. Thank you for saying it. And then a couple years later, somebody said, hey, do you want to make Raise to Stay a book? And so it's just been a labor of love of listening to people, sitting in tight spaces with people, wrestling with my own faith, wrestling mm -hmm. with my own decision to stay in ministry. And that's how this whole thing came about was me wanting to quit. <laughs> That is all. Well, listen, I'll, I'll just say, if you're watching today and you kind of like church cliches and just keep everything as is, you're probably not going to like this. We're going to have some really good, honest, transparent, yeah. uh, you know, conversation. But uh, it is my opinion that when it is through honest, transparent communication that you kind of really find the processes and the answers. And so we're, we're going to do that today. And uh, listen, I've been in ministry 37 years. And I could write so many times that I had these moments that I just felt like giving up. And I, I, it sounds, by reading your book, it sounds like it's a little bit like your journey. You hit those places and you go, I, yeah, I think you said it in the book, I have every reason to quit, but then I have Jesus as the reason to stay. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes that has to be our anchor when we go through the difficult season. So you talked about going to college and then all of a sudden you start having all these questions. I think that, you know, I think the the numbers are about 90% of Christian kids that go uh, to college wind up have e either falling away or having deep questions. Mm -hmm. well, describe your journey. When you, you go to college, you're a pastor's kid. You have been very successful as a worship leader, very talented. Uh, so what, what, what are you going through when all of a sudden your belief system is being challenged? Well, my senior year of high school, my parents went through the worst church hurt that our family had ever experienced. Mm -hmm. So I was supposed to go to a Christian college and be a youth pastor major. I was going to major in youth ministry. <laughs> and very last minute, I was like, God, if this is your church, no, thank you. And I ended up at Miami of Ohio, this small public university in Ohio, and I had a Jewish roommate, and I majored in science. I was a kinesiology, physical education major. And so I had, you know, professors who were atheists, and they knew I was a Christian. And so not only am I wrestling with my faith privately now because I'm ex being exposed to so much, but I'm being put in a public arena being asked to defend my faith with people who are not going to sympathize with me. They they actually hope to prove me wrong. And so I spent five years in this in this institution 
really having to wander on my own. And I think as parents, I mean, you and I are parents. Mm -hmm. We don't want our kids to ask questions. We're like, no, just trust me. (laughs) It's fine. I told you what to do. Yeah, just just do do it. it, So going to a public university for a lot of our parents was like a a terrifying thing because they knew it would prompt us to ask questions that Mm -hmm. maybe we wouldn't have asked elsewhere. And so I was alone in my dorm room and I had, you know, drunk parties happening next to me and nobody knew what my standards were. And, you know, people were just expecting me to fall into line with that. And so I had choices to make. Why did I believe what I believed? And was Jesus real? And was the church really good? And so I had to go through all of that. And thankfully, there was a campus ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. And I stumbled into a meeting one one night and fell in love with that community. And it was there that the Lord reawakened my passion for people, you know, not institution. I didn't even go to church when I went to college. Mm-hmm. I completely stopped going to church because I'm like, I just don't want to be in that anymore. Yeah. And it was through that that I learned how to tell people about Jesus in a way that wasn't just so textbook or just come to church and I'll prove it. But sitting mm-hmm. in coffee shops and, you know, really having to dig into scripture and and find out for myself what the word of God said about all of these hot topics. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't a deconstruction with the intent not to rebuild. It was a detangling from unhealthy religious uh, lies that I had believed <laughs> over the years, um, lacking grace, lacking the true love of a good father that had been put on me not by my parents, but by uh, other religious people. And so I think a good detangling is what some of us need to be able to really break free and find a Jesus that the Bible talks about. Yeah, you know, I, I find in the church, we're really good about using words like faith and grace. Uh, but, hey, we you can, memorize, you can memorize the passage of Scripture, but then it's putting it into practice— and making that grace a reality is where is is the disconnect from what I believe and then how I behave. And I want to just give a you know th- this is my thought when it comes to the church. I teach the when I teach about the church, I talk about this a lot. You know, you can't love Jesus and not love the church. In in this regard, um, it, it's like if if I said if I said to a, a, a man, hey, I really like you, I just don't like your wife. Well, at some point, you're going to come to a breaking place. And the truth is, Jesus loves his bride more than anything in the universe. He loves the bride. But it doesn't mean that the bride is perfect. Uh, Now, we are coming into that. And I think that the conversation, you know, for our listeners that are— we're A, uh, we don't want to have this stained glass look where we look at the church and we think everything is perfect. We have to be able, as a church— uh, as leaders to be able to look and go, we have we have we have stuff that we have to work on. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love us. Doesn't mean that positionally that we are not the bride of Christ, the you know the priest and the kings that Jesus has created us to be. But we it, it may be something that we need to look at and go how do how does that become a reality? Mm-hmm. How does the life of Christ evident in His bride so that when the world comes in that they see it? I think that that's a really important thing, and I find that the book is about that. You know, what what are some of those, if you would, stained glass, you know, things that we—sometimes we look at the church and we think it's pristine. It's not. It's broken. That's why Jesus died on the cross was to redeem yeah. us. What What are the things that you look at and go— you know what? Here's some things that maybe we need to look at as a church because when I walked through it, I nearly gave up. If it wasn't for Jesus, I would give up. Uh, but here's some things that we really need to look at 
as the body of Christ. Well, we've been taught not to question authority. We've been taught, you know, you go to church, the pastor is the end all be all. You know, we've we've been taught just to show up and be pleasing. Yep. And to not rock the boat and to not do anything that's going to cause a ruckus. Mm-hmm. And I think the church is a beautiful place for us to have hard and holy conversations in a safe place. But we have to do better at creating a safe place. And it's mm-hmm. not going to be through having a coffee bar and having the best sound system and the prettiest building. It's going to be broken people coming in, admitting that we're all broken. And I look back over time and I think, what good has it done the church pretending that we're perfect? Yep. Because all it's done is made us attach a perfect Jesus to imperfect people. And that's what causes the disappointment. And when I wrote that first black box, the church did not hurt you. A few broken people did. I have to go back and almost kind of re-edit that because the people are the church. So if people hurt you, then technically the church did hurt you. And that is violating Uh, a place that should be a sanctuary, a place that should be a safe haven. It suddenly becomes unsafe when we get stabbed in the back by someone who's supposed to be protecting us. And so it is the worst kind of hurt. The church hurt is the worst kind of hurt because it comes from people who are supposed to be your family. And being raised in a parsonage, the house like on the church property, you know, I lived for funerals and weddings and stuff because I knew there'd be potlucks. I knew we'd all be eating together. And that was my family. And when we look at the church, that's what we should see it as is not an organization, not something that's going to do something for me, but a family of broken people. And we're going to have siblings who are pinching under the table. We're going to have siblings (laughs) who are being bad. And we're also going to have spiritual parents who are going to abuse us. Yeah. And like Paul taught us in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I've been shipwrecked. I've been beat by the Roman rods. I've been flogged. I've been lost in the wilderness, lost in the sea. And then at the end, he says, I've been betrayed by my enemies and I've been betrayed by my brothers. And it was the worst of it. It's the I worst mean, when, of when it. When he came to it, he says, and above all of this, yes. I've been wounded by people that I thought were my friends. So, hello, this is Church yeah. Hurt Church Hurt 101 coming in yeah, at yeah. us straight from the Apostle Paul. And yeah. so it's not new. Yeah. But because we have set up the stained glass vision of the church and this view of the church, we have created something that's not sustainable. So what can we do better? Well, first, we need to shatter all of these perfected personas, and we need to learn to repent. Repentance is what will lead us to the kindness of the Lord, and his kindness will fall on a repentive church. And we will model to a world what saying I'm sorry looks like, what being accountable for bad behavior looks like, um, defending the widow and the orphan and sitting in spaces with people who need an advocate. That's what we're called to do. And so if we can stop pretending like we're fine and start allowing broken people to build something beautiful as a remnant, not as um, a bunch of sinful people just trying to get along, but as a radical remnant that's coming to form something beautiful like those stained glass windows, yeah. the Holy Spirit will shine through our brokenness and bring about a beautiful archaic peace that people will travel millions of miles to see because yeah. they're going to want to see what the church looks like in her brokenness. So I just think we need to be better at confessing we're not perfect. <laughs> Oh, very good. I, you know, you don't know much of my story. I came to know Jesus. I was in bouncing bars in jail, came to know Christ. And so when I start coming to church, I'm like, well, now I'm going to hang out with all the nice, good people. <laughs> and about uh, probably a year into it, I was like, 
there's some mean people oh, in church. Christians and are the it's worst. Not, it's not just a few of them. <laughs> and I, and listen, I near I, I nearly like walked away. Hey Jesus, I love you, but this is. But you know, the one thing that the Lord spoke to me, and 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 a, one of the first things that I heard from the Lord is that you'll never change things from the outside. You have to get on the inside. And one thing that you've highlighted, and I want to say this because folks are watching, maybe you're a pastor or leader or you go to church. I believe that it's a, uh, it's not a, it's not a fallacy, but here's what we do sometimes with pastors and leaders. We go touch not God's anointed. Now, when I was a senior pastor of the church, I would say to the church, when the Bible says touch not God's anointed, I agree with that. But why do we think that the pastor is the only one that's anointed? Every one of us that, that are saved, we have the Holy Spirit, we're anointed. And so there has to be some accountability. We can't just take pastors and make them little popes and go, everything that you say is ex-cathedra, just fall in line with the pastor. If you question anything, <clears throat> anything that he says, uh, then you're wrong and he's right automatically because he has the position. Uh, listen, that will never create a healthy environment. It, it is when pastors and leaders can be questioned, when there's accountability. And listen, if you're doing things that are right, you should never worry yeah. about that as long as it's done respectfully. But, but, but listen, if, if a pastor puts his hand against someone in a wrong way, he's touching God's anointing. And there's a special place in hell for those people who abuse God's people. I don't care if you're a mm-hmm. pastor or you are whatever you are. If you abuse the people of God— I, I really believe there will be yep. an accountability like we have never seen on that. And, you know, when we talk about things we can change in the church, I would say to pastors <clears throat> and leaders, listen to your staff. Yeah. You know, they may just be the janitor. They may just be, you know, in kidsmen. Mm-hmm. They may not have a platform title. But those leaders, those staff that you hired, they're in trenches that you're not in as leaders. Yeah. They're with the people. They're with the other staff members. They have insight you don't have. And so when a staff person comes into your office and says, hey, I think we have a problem, don't call them divisive. Take them to lunch and sit down with them and let them tell you their story. And if you're too busy for that, then you shouldn't be a pastor because your prime responsibility is to protect your sheep. And you better protect the people protecting (laughs) your sheep. Very good. No. You know, and so I'm, I'm a huge advocate for staff culture. A lot of our staff would rather quit than contend for healthy culture because they don't want to be called divisive or get fired. And if using our voices gets us fired, then that is the number one red flag of an unhealthy church. Sure. If you have a wife and kids and your insurance, you know, whatever is with the church. Yeah. You know, it is, it is sticking. But it's, it's a, this is something that we have to look at as a church. I was just reading a report, all time lows in America in the way that the culture and people look at church and leadership. And one of those things, and I, listen, if you go, oh, it's just the you know wicked people looking at the pure church. Uh, yeah, there's some of that. There is, there is, there's definitely an attack on the church. We're not saying that everything that the church does is wrong, but but listen, we need to be honest and go. When people are saying things that are true, we need to listen to that. And unfortunately, what we have set up where where the people in the church are there to serve the pastor. But Jesus said, if you want to be great, you be the servant. That means you're accountable. Doesn't mean that you lose the position of authority. Mm-hmm. We understand that there is a position of authority that God places you in, but the accountability and the transparency and the authenticity, if we don't fix this, we're looking at the world and saying, we want the world to get right. Yeah. And God is saying, 
hey, judgment starts in the house of God. Absolutely. We have to get us right so that when the broken and the hurting walk in, there's a culture there to heal them and to help help mm-hmm. to make them whole. And here's why we have to get it right. Um, in 2012 or 13, right after the Haitian earthquake, mm-hmm. 300,000 die in this thing. Second largest, you know, natural disaster. Yeah. We fly into Port-au-Prince and it's a it's a nightmare. The entire place is just a complete wreck. And we get in a tap-tap to go to the first orphanage of the day. And the tap-tap stops us at this gated structure with these beautiful green rolling hills. And it was locked. And there were these um, sweet Haitian children and their Sunday best standing at the gate. And I said, what is this? And he said, it's a burial site for those who lost their lives in the in the earthquake. And I said, well, are the kids here to see, to pay their respects? Like what's going on? And he said, no, they come every Sunday and they climb over the rubble of what's been left of their country to go wait for their parents to come back and get them. Oh. Even though they know that they're gone. There's a hope still because they didn't see their bodies. They didn't see, they just know they're not, they didn't come home. Yeah. And the Lord said, pay attention to this picture because it's an image of the coming church. And this is before deconstruction was actually a thing, right? And he said, there's going to be a deconstruction or a destruction that's going to leave an entire civilization in a rubble. And the church is going to have to decide if they're going to still remain in position because there are spiritual orphans climbing Mm -hmm. over the rubble of this deconstruction, of this destruction, and they're hoping somebody's coming for them. And if the church doesn't get our act together, if we don't figure out how to rebuild after we have handed over our churches to celebrity culture, to um, to policies and to politics and to hot takes. If we don't figure out how to rebuild a safe structure, there will be no place for those orphans to go. Yeah. And what would happen is people would come and feed them and play games with them because they knew their parents weren't coming back. And we as the church have that opportunity to open our arms to these spiritual orphans and say, we know it's a mess. We know there's dead bodies. We know that there is a lot that we need to rebuild, but we still have a safe place for you. Come and be part of this. But if we all jump ship, there will be no place to gather. And this is what the whole Great Commission and the Great Command is. Love God, love people, go and make disciples. We have to rebuild so that we can keep bringing in the lost and the lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why this is so important. Not because we're trying to like prove a point or anything, but because we have a mission that is not over yet. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's very good. Uh, Natalie Runyon with us, Race to Stay. This is, this is a great conversation, and it's needed. It's yeah. something that, listen, as a pastor and leader, you know, obviously have a role here at World Challenge, and we train and equip pastors. We believe in the church. We believe in the apostolic giftings and prophetic speaking and pastors and evangelists. So there, there's there's nothing here that says deconstruct what the Bible says the church is going to be. Right. What we're talking about, not de- deconstructing Jesus, but it's deconstructing what church culture has become and being able to look at that in an honest, transparent way and go, you know, are, are, we, are we really relating to the culture that God has called us to, because right now we have we've made stars on a stage, and God is saying, "Listen, it's the easiest thing in the world to stand on a stage and pontificate great truth." Yeah. But what you do when you step off of that stage, how you treat people, how pastors engage with people that are under them, and we we have allowed things to happen in the church. And there's a day that we could do that uh, and get by with it. Mm-hmm. Those days are no longer. No. We have a world that is looking and going, hey, 
what you say on the stage needs to match up with the way you operate. And you're talking about Jesus, but now you need to look like Jesus. Absolutely. And pastors, right? you're going to have people coming in right now who are hesitant. They are weary. COVID, COVID didn't help this. Yep. But you're going to have people in your congregations who haven't stepped foot in a church for three, five years, and they're going to have questions and they're going to want to know, can you accept me as I am? And and can yep. we have those hard conversations? And I would just say, like, rather than demanding that people stay and just be faithful, remind them of John 15, that we are to abide in Christ. So even if you can't go to a church right now, just don't let go of Jesus. Amen. Stay connected to that vine. He will be the one who will produce the good fruit. And then he'll give you a family where you can plant that seed and you can yeah. begin to grow. It could take three years. It could take five years. And pastors, you may have some people that are kind of in and out for three to five years, but just love them. Like, let them know that you're okay with our big questions and that, hey, if you hurt them, repent. And if they hurt you, be honest about that. But we have to be willing to get in the trenches with each other and just confess, like, we are broken, messed up people, but we have a good God. Amen. And if we stay connected to him, he will do all of the good work. So yes. if you have to leave the church for a little bit, do it, right? If you need to go heal, heal. Just don't let go of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And well, you know, just to just to throw this out in the book, one of the parts I really liked was when you talked about, you know, God taking the broken pieces and you use the illustration of, you know, the, you know, Jesus breaking the bread and then passing it out and God multiplying it mm -hmm. and bringing a miracle. Talk about your experience and when when you come to this place and you go, "Hey, I've got all this brokenness, but now I'm going, God, I, I know you've not called me to walk away. Yeah. You've called me to engage in the battle." And be a part of making a difference. And God now begins to take those broken pieces and he begins to heal them because you're not fit to be able to go heal other people no. until you're walking in that. <laughs> so tell us the process that you went through as you were discovering those broken pieces and you're going, hey, God, here's the broken pieces of my life in Jesus I want. I know that I need you to heal me. Yeah, I was a worship leader for twenty years. You know, it, it was my a great one, it was, by the way. <laughs> thank you. It was my gateway, right? Like yeah. it was the thing that when I was really having a bad day, I'd write a song, mm. or it was how I connected with the Lord. And He's kind like that. He'll yeah. He'll give us our first choice for a little bit to really um, keep us connected <clears throat> to Him. And I love how good He is in that. But we also have to remember that God's kids, we aren't one-trick ponies. <laughs> and when worship was taken from me, when I was about 40 and, and worship was no longer an option for me as I was being transitioned into different roles, I remember looking at the Lord on that day I wanted to quit and being like, mm. But I'm a worship leader. I'm a worship leader. That's all. That's what I do. If I don't, if I'm not a worship leader, and how many of us can identify in ministry how our identity gets wrapped up in what we do? Yeah. And I was telling him, this is what I am. This is who I am, and this is what you made me to be. And why would you take that? And he was like, Whoa, whoa. We've got more than one tool in our tool belt here. Like, I need yeah. you to be more versatile. Yeah. And so I hand him this little lunch of my worship leading. And I say, okay, God, I'm going to give this to you. Yeah. Much like that little boy who had this Lunchable, right? And it's probably been months of saving to have this lunch and years of saving this worship. And I give it to him and I say, fine. Give, I'm just going to give you the broken fragments of whatever is left of me and whatever you want to do with it, just do with it because I'm done. And it was then that these words started coming out of me, not in the form of songwriting, but in the form of writing. And I realized, oh my goodness, I'm actually a communicator. Like yeah. I can lead worship. That's, that's something I can do. And I can travel yeah. anywhere and play the piano and sing. But actually I'm more than that. 
Like God has so much more and he will feed the multitudes with the thing I give him, not just one congregation, but perhaps the world. If I'm willing to surrender my like favorite for his like best. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that our first choice isn't always God's best. Yeah. Some of us are like, no, if I'm not a pastor, I'm nothing. And if I'm not a worship leader, I'm nothing. And the (laughs) Lord's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I am so much bigger than that. And I find myself now in this sweet tension of using words to write and communicate and preach and teach. And I'm better because somebody didn't let me sit and be just one thing. Yeah. So that's hard. That's a hard thing. I've had a lot of spiritual temper tantrums over this. <laughs> the Lord has caught me red-faced and angry in my in my office many a times because I didn't want him to have that. But yeah. he multiplied it, and here we are. I, th- I think you're highlighting something that a lot of people in leadership go through, and it's this. If somebody's watching, you know, the dynamics are different. You're going from worship leading to you know writing and doing other things. But I, I have I have found this and maybe other, you know, people that are watching today where, you know, the easiest thing to do is stay in our comfortable places. But if God would have left you in that place all your days, you would have been in a comfortable place. But God could have never moved you into the next realm of ministry that he had for you. And so that uncomfortability sometimes can cause tensions in our heart yeah. where we're going, hey, I'm leaving something that's very comfortable and now I'm moving into this other area that's a little scary. But that is just it's like, you know, you know, Peter stepping out of the boat and walking yeah. on water. If if you're sitting in the boat, you can never really walk on the water and, you know, get close to Jesus. So right. sometimes God puts us in those positions so that we can go to the greater things. And Absolutely. it's evident that that's what God's done in it your is. life. And, yeah. and it's obviously the enemy would love for us to blame people. Well, they moved me out of that position, or I didn't have a choice, or they were going to fire me if I didn't do this. And that would be the human reaction, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to quit because they didn't see my value, or they didn't know my worth, or they didn't let me do what I wanted to do. And I think that we have to crucify that flesh and say, okay, God, I don't like this. <laughs> and honestly, if I'm, if I'm being honest, like I kind of hate it. But I have to believe that you are going to work all things out for my good and for your glory. And so I'm going to commit to six months and stay and see why you brought me here. And maybe it wasn't the thing I thought I was coming to do. Maybe it isn't my favorite thing. But I have to believe that if you're going to ask me to walk this out, you're going to bring me out on the other side. And I think a lot of us are quitting before the miracle. Yeah. I think a lot of us are quitting before God finishes. Yeah, you know, I, just yesterday I did devotions <clears throat> in our staff, and I was I was talking about the children of Israel being, you know, they were, uh, you know, they were held as slaves in Egypt, and it talks about the rigor, and it brought the bitterness, and so God had to bring them through the wilderness because they weren't ready to go in the promised land until they dealt with, dealt with the bitterness. But what they kept doing is every step they would be like, "We don't have water," and they would blame Moses. <laughs> And sometimes what we do is we we misplace the issues in our life and we start blaming people when ultimately there's a sovereign God that's in control of all this. Absolutely. And if they could have seen, oh, this is God that's trying to move and shake some things in my life because although, hey, yeah, he brought me out of Egypt, but I'm not ready for the promised land, the life of the spirit until this these issues get dealt with in my life. So ultimately, it, Moses isn't the problem. The problem is that God is trying to deal with our heart. And so when we see that picture of the sovereignty of God and we can go, no, God is moving me in this position, Mm -hmm. it changes the dynamic. So now it's not, you know, look what this person or that person did to me. 
hey, God, what can I learn from the thing that I'm walking mm-hmm. through and see the greater glory? If you had got caught up in those moments and start blaming people or situations, you would have missed the greater thing that God Absolutely. wanted to do was to bring you into a new season of life and ministry. Absolutely. And trust yeah. me, women's ministry, what I got moved into, felt yeah. like I was being fed by ravens. I was like, <laughs> I don't want this food. I'll starve. I'll starve before I eat. Take this food. <laughs> right. And the Lord's like, I'm providing. Yeah. So take what I'm giving you. I don't care if it's coming from Ravens. I don't care if you don't like what you're getting in front of you. Finish your meal and then we'll move on to the next thing. And now you can look back and go where at one moment you're going, hey, I don't like what the leader did. But yeah. ultimately you can see now that that leader saw, saw something, something in you that he was trying to direct your life in a yeah. way. So rather than being bitter. Yeah. It brings you to that place of going, no, God, thank you. Yeah. So, and I think we need to stop walking and walking as victims. Like none of us are victims, (laughs) but the enemy wants us constantly in a a place of being a victim because we're not strong when we're victims. Mm. We'll get empathy from people and we'll get sympathy from people, but that's not how I want to live my life. I don't want people sympathizing with me all the time. I want to walk in victory. Um, And when we live as victims, oh, woe is me. This happened to me. This was done to me. And trust me, I'm not talking about abuse because that's different. But when we're talking about position and status and our pride, like some of us just need to be knocked off our block a little bit. (laughs) Right? Like we're not all that. And so some of us need a good humble pie and and be reminded that this is not about us. Yeah, but it is like it is the mantra, both in the church and out of the church. It's like we're living in a culture that everybody just needs to be a victim. And, you know, if I can blame somebody else for my issues, but there's never freedom in that. No, it's only when you can own, embrace, even if people have done wrong. And you you talk about that in in the book, making yourself unoffendable, Mm -hmm. coming to that place where you see the glory of God at work rather than what people are doing against you. And you move from that victim mentality to the place that, no, I'm I'm a daughter of the king, mm-hmm. and God has full access to my life. Yes. And whatever hurt or difficulties that I walk through, I know that he, he will see me through. Well, I always say the greatest pandemic of the church is offense. Oh. Because what we have is— <laughs> Say that again. Yeah, no. <laughs> the, yeah, the greatest pandemic of our church right now is a spirit of offense. And, yeah. and here's what I mean by that. We're told in the scriptures all the time to bear one another's burdens and that yeah. what God asks us to carry will be light, that there will mm. be a yoke, but that that burden will be light and that he will be with us. But we as a church are horrible at bearing each other's burdens, but we will pick up a fence like in a hot <laughs> second. And as a staff culture, we need to do yeah. better at not asking other people to carry our offenses. That's sin. When we ask somebody to carry an offense, we're sinning. And then when they pick it up, they're sinning. And then we have this whole culture of just gossip and offense. And our productivity rate goes from 100%, which could be feeding the sheep, to now 20%, where we're gossiping 80% of our day and 20 other percent of the day we're looking for another job because we're not walking in victory. We're being weighed down by offense. Now, I can sympathize in a way or empathize and say, I understand what you're feeling and I'll sit with you and pray with you. But I'm not going to carry and sympathize with that offense that all church is bad because one person hurt me. So we have a choice as staff whether we're going to create a culture of honor and be honest and private and honor in public, but we're not going to sit in our offices and and gossip and bear bear each other's offenses. Yeah, and whether whether it's staff or just people that attend church, we all go through offenses. I mean, it literally in church work, it's like this, and it's what you're saying. I've seen it so many times over the year, uh, over the years, and what happens is we get offended, 
And then we need to find somebody that can reinforce the offense. And and listen, if somebody comes to you with their offense, don't be so quick to reinforce the offense. Maybe it's going, hey, I know that you're hurt. Empathize, feel it. But at the same time, come back and go, listen, you also have to look at another side of this. And rather than holding the offense, let God do a work. But when you just find people that will gravitate to your offense, and then you have this, these people are the offended, and then those people are offended at the offended, now you've developed a culture of offense. Yeah. And and that's not a culture of healing. No. It's when you start to speak faith. It's when you start to believe God. Yeah. It's when you say, God, I know I'm, I've been offended and I've been hurt, but you can heal me. That is the culture, the atmosphere that people can be healed in. And if you're looking for healthy leadership in a church, you're looking for the people who will bear a burden with you but won't ask you to carry their offense. <laughs> and if the only people who want to talk to you are when you're in crisis, that's not a friend. That's yeah. somebody who wants to put salt in your wound. That's somebody who wants to roll around in the mud with you and not heal. And this book is divided into four sections, the hurt, the hard, the hope, and the holy. And a lot of us don't get to the hope and the holy because we continue to remain in the hard and the hurt. Yeah. And there will be a cycle of this. There will be hard and hurt. But we have to stay long enough. And I don't mean stay in a toxic church, stay under narcissistic leadership. I'm saying stay with Jesus long enough to let him make all things new. Hmm. There is a renewal process. And if we keep quitting just because things are hard or human, then we're never going to see the supernatural work of God who promises to make all things right and to reconcile his people. Yeah. The thing I hear you saying loud and clear is keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus. Because people will fail you. And you may even, uh, sometimes people aren't failing you, but you may perceive that they're failing you. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, the healing and the life comes when your eyes are fixed on Jesus mm-hmm. and he's the one that can bring you through. I absolutely, Natalie, I have loved this conversation. One, one thing that you uh, highlight and I want you to talk uh, to our listeners today about is don't let your Judas keep you away from Jesus. Mm-hmm. Why, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Man, I, I could talk about this for days because I think <laughs> it is a part of the offense thing. And At the same time, there are abusers. There are people who are not good people who are in a bad season, or maybe they're just a bad person who shouldn't be in ministry. I'm not really sure what it is. Um, But every church I've been at, there has been a a Judas or there has been um, somebody or a Saul who was a leader who was not healthy. Yeah. And we could blame that on a season of life, or we could say that they really were just being used by Satan, whatever we want to say. But just like Judas, they sat at the table and they, people thought, hey, they're one of us. And Jesus always knew Judas was going to be the one. And there are some of us sitting at tables with that high discernment knowing, hey, that's a bad apple over there. And yeah. being a pastor's kid, I can walk into a room and I can tell you who the bad apples are of a staff mm. pretty quick. I always joke that I didn't. <laughs> I always joke like I didn't choose the thug life. The thug life chose me. Like as a consultant, I can go into a church and be like, that lady is bad news. Yeah. And you don't know it. And you don't know it, but the rest of your staff knows it. And you probably have a wake of resignations behind that person. Yeah. And so you have to be able to be honest when you hear your staff say this person's bad. Listen to that discernment because it's possible that they are. And so at every church, there's a Judas among us or there is a Saul. Lest we be that Judas or Saul. Hello. Like it can be us. Hey, and um, by the way, <laughs> just so you're, you know, while you're talking about this. Judas was one of the ones chosen by Jesus. God knew he was the betrayer, and he was still in the middle middle uh, of uh, of, of the leadership team, if you would. Yes. And God 
Allowed it. Judas, he allowed it, permitted it. Not only that, but he designed it. Totally. And so sometimes the Judases can teach us something. They do. And that's what I that's what I've learned about all of these churches that I've been in where there's been a Judas or a Saul, is that for every Judas, mm. there is a Paul. There is somebody who wants to speak life into me. There's somebody who wants to protect me. There's somebody who wants to uh, wants me to be their Timothy. Yeah. And we so often allow that Judas to keep us from pursuing Jesus because of, we're afraid of getting hurt again. And we have to remember that God allowed it, mm-hmm. but he also has position to Paul. Very and good. if we will search out for mentorship and discipleship, if we will seek out those wiser voices in our lives, there will be people who will talk about us like Paul talked about Timothy. Mm-hmm. I've never met anyone like him before. You're going to love him. He's the best. There are people who want to talk about us that way too. Um, but the enemy wants us so caught up on that Judas that we won't continue to do the thing God's called us to do. And Jesus didn't let Judas stop his assignment. Yeah. He continued on. And so I'm not going to let my Judas stop me from my assignment either. (laughs) And I'm also going to be aware that I could be somebody else's Judas, and I want to not be that. (laughs) Uh, One of the things I loved in the book was when you you talked about that it was a good thing for David to serve Saul. And because most of the time we look in that and we go, I'm not serving the Saul. But what, what happened with David when he learned to serve Saul is probably what made him fit to be king one day so that when people served him, he understood what it really meant to be a king. So there's a beautiful part. You know, you transition that and you went to the hope and the wreckage. And uh, the good part is today, if you're listening, you go, boy, it sounds like, you know, oh, Natalie and John are talking about all the problems in the church. But th- this is the great part. There is hope in the wreckage. Hope. And all of this talk is not to denigrate the church. We love the church. It's the bride of Christ. But we're saying, what things can we do to help fix the things so that the church can really represent the life of Christ? Absolutely. So there is hope in the wreckage. There is hope in the wreckage, and it comes with being in the family of God. It's showing up. It's being an active part, not just coming in on Sunday mornings and being a Christian consumer. I think Amy (laughs) Grant has that uh, song, Fat Baby. Um, I know that she did one of your—she was one of your recommendations for the book. I love—I just love— love like yeah. this whole idea that we don't have to be consumers. Yeah. The minute that we learn to love the people yeah. more than we love our position, more than we love our title, then we become so entrenched in wanting to love people that even when we're hurt, that risk still is going to be outweighed by the reward. Wow. And so if we want to see the hope in the holy, we have to stay. And I talk about that church in my um, my senior year of high school who hurt us yeah. and who we had to drive away into the middle of the night, no home, nowhere to go. My dad had to start finding a job. It was the most degrading time of my life. And I felt like Saul was chasing me. I felt like David, like I could just cut off. I just wanted to kill him, you know, but I learned that killing Saul wasn't going to expedite the promises of God for David and killing the church wasn't going to expedite the promises of God in my life. Yeah, very good. And so two years ago, I get a call from that church who heard us. And they said, Natalie, would you come lead worship for our 100-year anniversary? (laughs) The pastors were in my youth group when this all happened. And I said, Um, no, no, why would I do that? There's been counseling and therapy and medication. Like, why would I go back into this? (laughs) And they said, no, we're having everybody come back who was part of the church. Like, we want you to come lead worship. All the hurt people are coming back. And I said, said, I'm going to have to pray about this. And I told the Lord, I don't want to go. And he said, you will go because you're writing a book about a reconciled church. Wow. And I didn't have a last chapter. And he said, you're going to find your last chapter there. 
Praise I God. fly into Cincinnati. I go to this church, and the parsonage that we had lived in is torn down. Everything looks the same. The old blue bus we took is sitting in the back of the <laughs> sanct- uh, the parking lot. I walk in. It smells the same. Lights are the same. Carpet's the same. And the people who I swore were 80 when I was, like, 15, they must have not been because they're still alive, and they're sitting in their pews, like, still there <laughs> in their same spots. And I get up to lead worship, and there's people on that platform who were active members when we were kicked out. Wow. And I am like, how do I do this? You know, and I'm feeling the anxiety and my that that pit in your stomach when you just are going to vomit. And we go through the set. We're practicing. Nobody's talking about anything. And I'm like, this is just so weird. And then the service starts and we get to the point of the service where the pastor introduces all of us on the platform Mm -hmm. of when we attended that church. And he gets to me and he says, this is Natalie Thomas. That's my maiden name, Runyon. And you hear kind of this like kind of gasp in the room. And he says, her dad was one of our favorite pastors to ever pastor this church. And the whole room goes up and applause. And I thought, oh my gosh, they didn't hate us. Like I've thought for 30 years, they hated us. Mm -hmm. And the Lord said, pay attention to this moment. What you felt was an exile was actually an exodus. Mm, they never hated stuff, you. They yeah. never hated you. The enemy wanted you to think they hated you. Yeah. I got off that platform and they're kissing me, the old ladies. I have their perfume all over me. <laughs> you look just like your daddy and tell your mom we miss her singing and tell your dad he was my favorite hunting buddy. And that was when I saw, oh my gosh, God will finish what he starts. Whoa. And if I would have quit, I would have never seen the reconciliation and that I would have never had an ending to this book that talks about the holy. And it was 25 years later. Yeah that I saw the reconciliation. And I know some of us won't see it till we get to heaven with some of the people who have hurt us. Mm -hmm. But the enemy wants us to think everybody hates us when in reality, nobody hates us. Uh, One of the things that I absolutely, Natalie, love about your story is uh, it's not just deconstructing. It's not just looking at all the fallacies. But when you bring this place of reconciliation and hope and going through the process because sometimes you you know there are Josephs in this world, and we do go through hurt, and sometimes life isn't fair. But if we if all we do is reduce it to people and situations, we miss the hand of God. And I think that it's so important for us as believers to see that through the hurt and mm-hmm. the difficulties that the hand of God is bringing us somewhere. Absolutely. And you really and not only do you highlight that in the book, but I see it in you. You know, just talking to you. This isn't, you know, this hurt girl, you know, that struggled, you know, through so many things. It's this person that's brought the beauty and the love of Christ. And now you're bringing healing and hope to other Mm -hmm. people. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So it's really a beautiful thing. So, uh, so, you know, give us some last thoughts as we're kind of wrapping things up. People are maybe watching and they've gone through some of their own hurt. What would you say to someone that today is going, man, I feel the brokenness. Mm-hmm. I've been, I've, I'm dealing with the church hurt. I want to deconstruct. I want to quit. I want to walk away. Like, why should they stay? Man, it's, it's such a good question. And first of all, you just have to know you're not alone. Yeah. Like all of us wake up. Some days we're like, I love what I'm doing. I love my relationship with God. I love the people. And other days we wake up and we are questioning everything. I mean, this is human. This is being yeah. human. And I think the enemy wants us to feel isolated in our wandering as if we're out on some desert alone. And I would say you're not alone, that there are people who love you, who maybe you haven't talked to in a long time, who are praying for you, and that mm-hmm. God is the holy hound. He is the hound of heaven. <laughs> and he is chasing us down every single day. And that it's not about what we do for him that he wants. He wants us. He just wants us. And so if you're in that space, sometimes just waking up in the morning and saying, God, I love you is all you can get out. 
he's okay with that. Or if you're ready to jump back into church and serve 100% again, he's okay with that too. But nobody is rushing your healing. Yeah. It's like the prodigal. We don't care how you come. Just come back. Just yeah. just come back to an organization. No. To a religion. No. Come back to Jesus. And, yeah. and remember what you knew about him to be true when you were little. Remember the scriptures. Remember the stories. Remember those stained glass windows that brought some familiar um, pictures and stories that reminded you that Jesus finished what he started and that yeah. everything that we hold inside of us since he created us is still active and alive. Yeah. And that just as Philippians 1, 6 says that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it to the very end, that includes you and I. Yeah. And it not being perfect, just showing up and saying, here I am, Lord, use me like Mary did. Here I am. Be it unto me as you have said. And if all you can do in one day is just utter out, God, I love you, he's great with that. But he wants us. He doesn't want what we do for him. He wants us. And so come home, all you weary travelers. Um, there is a place for you. And yeah. we as a church, we we should be ready to receive a lot of the remnant that's going to be coming back. Yeah. And I want to just remind people that are maybe you've tuned in and you're watching or listening. Listen, Jesus is perfect. The church is not. Mm -hmm. And the church is not an institution. The church is not a denomination. The church is not a building. The church is people and people that have gone through some of the same broken things. Once I came to this in my spiritual life and I recognized even if somebody's raised in church, uh, somebody's a pastor or leader, doesn't mean that they're perfect. Right. They have their issues just like you have yours. And just like you need grace, they need grace. And so I will just encourage you, man, be a part of the church. Yeah. Fine. You may say, oh, but I've had so many bad experiences. I will tell you this. I've lived a lot of places. And if you look, you will find good uh, churches that love God, love each other, love the community. Find those good, healthy places. Invest your life. And listen, along the way, you'll still face difficulties. But let Jesus season your life and you be an answer to the problem mm -hmm. rather than being a part of the problem. And God will cause you to shine there and use right. you as an agent to help heal people that are hurting and broken. Uh, and, and Natalie, it's easy to see that that's the work mm -hmm. that the Lord has done in your life. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask you to do something. Can you pray? Absolutely. Uh, people are watching right now and they're going, hey, I, I'm going through some stuff right now. Yeah. Can you pray that God would bring healing in those broken places? Yes, Absolutely. God, we thank you for your church. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you established it, that you are the chief cornerstone. You were the rock that the builders rejected, God, and yet you established this upper room for us, Lord, and you left your Holy Spirit for us to live and dwell among us, God, as we now wait for you to come back to an imperfect world, God, to take us to a perfect kingdom. And I thank you that you have given us leaders and pastors and shepherds, people to guide us along the way, Lord. And I pray for those who have been wounded by their shepherds, people who have been yes, hurt Lord. by those who were supposed to protect them. God, would you be that balm in Gilead? God, that would just right now, right where people are, God, with their open wounds, God, would you just pour your healing balm on their souls right now, God? And would you just heal the things that are broken that can't seem to be resolved. God, would you meet people right where they are in their cars, in their homes, in their offices, Lord? Would your Holy Spirit just flood where they are to remind them that you have never left them and that you will never forsake them? I pray for the wonderer, the one who is still wondering, is this real? Is this God really who he's supposed to be? Is Jesus 
really the one who did what he said he did? Is is the church really who they're supposed to be? God, I pray for the wonder that they wouldn't stop asking questions. God, that you can handle the questions. You love a good wrestle. God, you know how to wrestle with your people. And God, you're not trying to strong arm, God, but you're sitting with them in that space, God, answering the questions through other believers. God, I just thank you that you love the wanderer. And for the wanderer, the one who is walking around, kind of looking up, just hoping to find a new church or a new family or maybe even just you, God, would you reveal yourself to be present? God, the ever-present friend, the ever-present God in a time of trouble, would you just be present among those who are uh, wandering right now in what feels like a desert? God, would you have a— a promised land waiting for them on the other side. And God, for the wrestler, the one who is deconstructing and and asking questions and getting a little rough and gruff and doesn't know how to not have sharp edges, God, would you just remind them that you made them that way and that you love, that they love to wrestle with you and that you're not afraid of their big questions. You're not afraid of their anger. You're not afraid of their frustration, God, but you are waiting for them, God, with a cool cup of water and, and hope hope for their weary journey, Lord, that they will, at the end of this wrestling, fall into your arms in a heap of exhaustion and find that you are the good father that you promised to be. I pray for leaders as we struggle through this season of people who are just really hurting. God, teach us how to be better listeners. Teach us how to lean in. Teach us how to do what you did, God, to sit with small groups and to listen to their stories and to meet their needs, God, however they could. Lord, I I just pray, Lord, that you would give us um, empathy, that you would give us uh, just the ability to, to be Jesus to a lost and a hurting world, and that we would slow down, that we would deconstruct our own things that need to be deconstructed from the way that we create ministries, the way we do ministry. God, if it needs to be torn down, tear it down. God, tear down anything that is not of you. We don't want it if it's not of you. And I just ask, God, for more of your presence, more of your love, more of your patience and your peace, all of those uh, fruits of the Spirit, God, just to grow in your kids uh, so that we can usher in, God, one of the greatest revivals that I believe that this world has ever seen. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Natalie Runyon, uh, raised to stay. It has been so uh, so good to have you here. Yeah. Uh, this is Truth and Grace with John and Mark. I want to encourage you, share this out. If you know somebody that's going through some difficulties or just some hurt, and maybe this would be uh, something that would be a good listen to them, share it out to them, share it out to friends, uh, give us some comments. If there's things you need prayer for, please let us know. Uh, we love you dearly. Mark will be back next week. We'll have uh, Truth and Grace with John and Mark. Uh, keep him in your prayers. He's uh, doing some traveling now. And uh, But it has been such a delight to have you, Natalie. And uh, we are uh, just excited to see some good reports of the healing and the restoration that God does through this conversation. Uh, God bless you, and we will see you next week. Thank you. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. We know your time is valuable, and we're so thankful that you chose to spend it with us. If you want more encouragement, our website has the monthly newsletter, other podcasts, sermon series, study guides, daily devotions, and updates from the missions field. Visit us at worldchallenge.org for all this and more. John and Mark will be back next week to offer their insight into how believers can live, love, and lead well in a broken world. We'll see you next time.